please bear with me as we jump right back into our uh, study of Exodus. We took a break for a few weeks and uh, we got through part one. We went through chapters one through 15 over the last few months. And now we're jumping into part two, which is going to last uh, from today through October. And we've had a chance to talk through a, a bunch of different concepts. You know, we, when Ajay told me that we were going to preach on Exodus, I was like, great. That sounds like a good topic for the month of January or the month of February. No, he's like, no, we're going to preach on the book of Exodus in the year 2011. And it's been amazing how God has been speaking to us all these last months. We've, we've preached on how, God, uh, how Israel was in slavery. We've preached on how they had to build bricks using straw. We've preached on how God hardened Pharaoh's heart, how the plagues came one after the next, how God was able to miraculously bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. We preached about Moses and how he was their savior and a shadow of Jesus Christ, our savior. We preached on the fact that after rescuing them out of Egypt, he brought them through the, uh, the Red Sea. And we linked all this back to the gospel and we linked all this back to Jesus and how the book of Exodus is really a beautiful gospel message. And so that brings us to today. If we turn our Bibles to Exodus chapter 15, starting with verse 22, we find the children of Israel in the wilderness. Exodus chapter 15, starting with verse 22, it says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went there three days in the wilderness and found no water. So the first question we have to ask is, why are they in the wilderness? You know, it's, there are so many easier paths to take from Egypt to the land of Palestine. And it's as though God, like, forgot his GPS at home, or he pulled out his map and he started looking at it upside down or sideways. You know, even driving from Egypt to Palestine would be difficult, let alone walking in the desert, in a dry place, in tough terrain where there's no food and there's no water. And it's like God got confused because he did this huge miracle and brought them out of Egypt and then he did this huge miracle where he parted the Red Sea and made this painless, easy route for Israel to just march right through the Red Sea. And then he brings them to this difficult, hard, dry, horrible place called the wilderness. And we have to ask ourselves, why? Why are they in the wilderness of all places? I want us to look at chapter 16, verse 3. Because we see that the Israelites begin to cry and complain, and they say, hey, we actually had it better in Egypt. We actually prefer to be back in Egypt. You see, God brought them out of slavery, and now God needs to bring the slavery out of Egypt. You hear what I'm saying? God brought them out of slavery, but now there is a process of sanctification that needs to occur to bring the slavery out of Egypt. Look at what they're saying. It was better that we were back in Egypt. This is the language of addiction. And when you, when you hear me use the word addiction, you're thinking drugs and alcohol. No, when, before we were saved, you and I were addicted to all types of sin. Sin was permeating our hearts, permeating our minds. Yes, when we are saved, we are saved instantly. But then there is a sanctification process that needs to occur 
to bring this slavery out of us, to bring this sin out of us. You know, Deuteronomy 8 says that God had them wander in the wilderness to humble them, to test them, to know what was in their heart. Yes, salvation is an instantaneous process, but it's also one that occurs over time. God brought them to the wilderness to sanctify them and to get that sin out of them, to get that slavery out of them. If we look at uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul says that this present suffering is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. And that passage always confused me. This present suffering is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. And I started reading commentaries on Exodus 16, and the commentaries were saying that Paul is saying that without suffering, there is no glory, and glory really means weight or substance. And so Paul is saying that without suffering, you and I, we cannot be people of substance. We cannot be people who care and who love and who empathize. We cannot be people of character unless we go through this wilderness experience. You know, everyone wants an instant fix. Everyone wants to be zapped and all of a sudden made holy and pure and clean and we forget about our past. Yes, God has forgiven us. God has taken us out of our slavery. But now we need to enter into this interactive process where you and I need to participate and God takes us into the wilderness so that we can become people of character, so that we can become people of substance, so that when we can empathize with others, you know, when other people are going through suffering, we can empathize with them. If we have also been through suffering, if other people are going through pain, we can empathize with them if we have also been through pain. This wilderness experience sanctifies us so that we can be people of substance and we can be people of character. The other reason God has taken them into the wilderness is because he knows that if he brings them too quickly into the land of blessing, they are not going to survive. You know, if they rush into the land of prosperity, they are prone to indulge themselves and just indulge themselves in their own pride, indulge themselves in their own self-sufficiency, and forget about all of that's happened and where they've been and what they've done. You know, we are so prone, once we are in that land of blessing, to forget about who God is and what he's about. So God brings them into the wilderness, and God has them go through this time of trial and suffering so that they can understand, and we can understand, that we are wholly and completely dependent on God. When we are in that land of prosperity, we need to understand that we are still completely dependent on God and God alone. So God graciously and he mercifully allows us to go through this wilderness experience to sanctify us, to prepare our hearts, to prepare our minds so that when we're sitting in that land of blessing and prosperity, we know it's not because of my might or strength. No, he wanted to ensure that when they got to that land of blessing, no one would say, hey, it's my intellect, it's my strength, it's my wisdom, it's my money that brought me here, no. It is God, and it's God alone. You know, God took Liz and I through a wilderness experience um, several years ago. Uh, as we were praying for a child, we prayed for two years, and it was a huge toll on our family. You know, Liz was going through treatment, and so it was taking a huge physical toll on her, uh, emotional toll, mental toll. It was one of the most stressful times of our lives, and our families are asking, 
you've been married for three years, four years, five years, how come you don't have children? You know, our grandparents were like, why did you buy this? You know, this beautiful house is great. If only there were children running around in it. Got it. I got the message. And we're praying and we're crying and nobody can understand. Apparently back in India, you know, they pop them out every year. I don't know. Nobody had these types of issues back there. The water here is different. I don't know. And we're praying and we're crying. And we got to the point where we were fasting. And finally, I began to understand. I began to truly understand that I was completely and wholly dependent on God. If you asked me up until that point, hey, who provided you all these blessings? My mouth, my lips would say, God. God gave it all to me. And in my heart, I would say, but you know, I graduated from a really good school. I don't know if you knew that. I don't know if you knew that I landed a really good job. I don't know if you know, I'm not going to talk about it, but I don't know if you know that I'm doing really well in my career. So yes, God gave all of this to me. And in my heart, there's a little bit that said, you know, I had, I had something to do with this. I had something to do with this. And I remember in the days and weeks and months and years of crying and praying, I finally came to the point where I said, God, you are a good God. And if you give us a child, you are a good God. And if you don't give us a child, you are a good God. Because you have done everything that we need on the cross. And everything I have and everything I am is because of you and you alone. That is the first time in my life I prayed that and I meant it with all my heart. And I had to go through the wilderness to say that. So God takes us through the wilderness to sanctify us. God takes us through the wilderness to get the slavery out of us. When we're in the wilderness, there's three things that he does. He provides, he teaches, and he tests. So we're in the wilderness now. We understand how we got here. And there's three things he's going to do. He's going to provide, he's going to teach, and he's going to test. Let's look at Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. See, God provided his people with a promise. In 16.4, he says he's about to provide for them bread from heaven. And this came out of their complaint that, hey, you brought us all out of Egypt to kill us. That's what their rationale is. You brought us all out of Egypt to kill us. Yes, they recognized that they were saved from slavery, but yet that slavery was still in them. I would have preferred that they said, hey, Moses, you brought us out of Israel, uh, Egypt. And by the way, it looks like we're about to drop dead. Because that, that's an accurate statement. They had gone days without eating, without water, and they would have said, hey, I, I know you're following God, but FYI, it looks like I'm about to drop dead. That would have been accurate. But they came to Moses and said, we are going to die. Yes, I know that God miraculously brought us out of Egypt. Yes, I know that the plagues were there. Yes, I know the Passover occurred. Yes, I know that he uh, had victory over Pharaoh. Yes, I know that somehow that, that little, not like a little river, the Red Sea parted and brought us out. But we are about to die now. God did all that, but now we're about to die. See, God had set the stage to sanctify them and to show them 
that he is the God of provision. He is the God that is going to provide in their most dire estate, in their most helpless time. He would be there in the wilderness to provide. He was there that day. He was there the next 40 years. God is our provider. You know, we need to understand that all events, all events have been foreseen by God. The good events and the bad events, the disease and the health, the peace and the war. You know, we as Christians need to come to grips with this reality. That disease and suffering and evil were not in God's blueprint, but he can use those things to teach us, to mold us, to shape us, to sanctify us. He can use those things to make us even greater and more glorious for his good. So they weren't in his original blueprint, but now those wilderness experiences are sanctifying us so that we can live for his glory. So they were in a place where there was no food, there was no drink, and God said, I will provide in the wilderness. God will provide for you and I here. Let's just read a few verses in 16, 13 through 18. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, the thin flakes, like frost on the ground, appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given to you to eat. This is what the Lord commands. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in, the, in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone gathered just as much as they needed. So God is providing miraculously. He's providing quail. I've never had quail after reading this chapter. I'll find a restaurant where there is quail. Sounds interesting. God is providing manna. God is miraculously providing all of these things for his people. You know, we live in a world where everything is already provided. You know, sure, we have to work, but electricity magically comes to our homes. We go to the supermarket, and there's food from all over the world. We go to the mall, and there's shirts, pants, shoes. I bought some yesterday. All of that is already there for us. There's a series of events that bring all of this together. And it's so difficult for us to see and understand that at the end of the day, it is God who made all of that happen. It's so difficult for us to walk into a supermarket and say, hey, God is the provider. It's so difficult for us to walk into King of Prussia Mall and say, hey, God is the provider. But you see the children of Israel are in the wilderness and there's no infrastructure, there's no series of events that's going to occur. It is God and God alone that is going to provide. It's going to take God for them to eat. It's going to take God for them to drink. There's no food without God. And that is exactly why he brings us into the wilderness so that you and I will know who our provider is. Too often we get caught up and we think we provide for ourselves, but that food is not on our dinner plate if it is not for God. Too often we think the clothes that we wear, the car that we drive, was something that we had to do with. But my brothers and sisters, when we are in the wilderness, we will know that our friends, our family, our abilities, nothing will save us. 
and it is God and God alone. God provides in the wilderness. He provided for his children, in the w- children of Israel, and he is taking us into the wilderness so that we understand that he is the ultimate provider. The other thing that he's doing is he is teaching his people. If we look at Exodus chapter 16, verse 11, and the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. They're learning something about God. That he is not just God, but he is the God of gods. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the God of everything and anything. He is the God of all of it. You know, it was such a huge presumption for them to say, hey, you know, God is not big enough to solve our problems. You know, sure, the primary purpose God was working that miracle was to feed them. But the the secondary purpose was to feed them. But the primary purpose was so that they would understand the scope and magnitude of who exactly he was. You know, we get into the wilderness experience and we think, you know, God is big enough to do some things, but he's not big enough for this problem. He's not big enough for this issue. And God was telling the children of Israel, I am the God of nature. I'm the God of food. I'm the God of air. I'm the God that created the heavens and the earth. I'm the God that created the beasts in the field, the birds in the air, the fish in the sea, the sun, moon, and stars. I I created them. They're suspended in air. God is the one that created us as beings that need to eat. So, of course, he can provide the food for us to survive. God is the one that created us as beings that need to breathe air. So of course he can provide the air that we need. He created us as beings that need to drink. So of course he can provide the water for us to drink. If he has done the bigger thing, of course he can do the small thing that we think is so big, so huge. Oh God, how will this happen? God is saying, I've done, I can't even stretch my arms out big enough. I've done this and you're asking me for this. Of course, I am the God of this. He knows where we've been. He knows where we are. He knows where we're going. You know, it looked as though they were going to die. And God is teaching them, hey, I am the God of all. I am the God of gods. He's teaching them. He's teaching us who he is in the wilderness. The next thing that he does, so he provides, he teaches, and he tests his people. On the sixth day, on uh, chapter 16, verses 23 through 30. Chapter 16, verse 23 through 30. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is the day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So they, laid aside, lay, so they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. 
And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So God is providing them a test. And they fail. It's like, not like they just fail. They fail miserably. God gave them such a simple command. Gather for six days. Then he didn't say, go work extra hard the seventh day. He was like, go and rest on the seventh day. And still you find these knuckleheads out there. Why are they there? What are they doing? What are they looking for? God said rest. And they're out there and they fail the test. And we see this happen again and again and again throughout the Old Testament. And we see God testing them and they fail and they test and they fail. And so we may immediately ask, well, why is God testing them? Clearly, they're not that bright. They should not be taking these tests. They're failing. Maybe give them an easier test or demote them. Send them back to first grade. Second grade is too hard. But he's not testing them to be cruel. He's not testing them to enjoy seeing them fail. He's testing them like a father tests their children so that they will grow, so that they will mature, so that they will evolve and, and, and learn and understand. He's not testing them to make them fail. He's testing them like a father would test for their good and for their benefit so that they will grow. You know, my father is the typical Indian math genius. Like, it is legend in his hometown, how good he is at math. And believe me, that myself and Freddie and Daniel knew how good he was at math. As we grew up, he was so good. And then I remember like 10 years ago, he decided he didn't know enough about technology, so he enrolled himself into like computer learning center for like two years. And of course, every math course, he like knocked out of the ballpark and he came and told us, oh, they gave me 100 questions and I got 105 right. Like, how is that even possible? <laughs> I did some extra questions, I created my own and I showed them how to do the math. He was just so good. And every day, we'd look at each other and say, how come we didn't even get like an, a tenth of that? Like, I was maybe an average student in math at best. Average, maybe slightly above. I'm gonna say slightly above. <laughs> and I'm gonna take the liberty to say that Freddie was one notch below. You know, you could, we could go compare our report cards. I think, you know, he was trying, I, like one notch below. Daniel still doesn't know how to do math to this day. That's a whole different issue. So clearly, this did not, like, whatever happened, that part of my father did not get passed on. And so he would test us. And he would test us, and he would test us, and he would give us these math problems every day. And he was so hard and so cruel. And he would give us these tests, and we would fail all the time. And it was so painful and so torturous. And I remember when we were doing that, growing up, thinking there will never be any good that can come from this. Never. I don't understand it. I hate it. It was torturous. But now I can look back and say, he wasn't doing that to torture us. He loved us. And he was trying to teach us. He was trying to help us to grow, help us help prepare us, help us understand so that when we got to school, we didn't look like idiots. <laughs> he, was, he loved us, and he was helping us and teaching us and testing us, not 
to make us suffer, but to help us to grow. And it's like, now I look back and, you know, as a father now, I can appreciate it. And as I look back at the series of events in my life and I'm helping to manage the finances here at church and I help to manage the finances of new businesses at our, at our workplace, I'm like, I actually need to know some math to do this. And I should actually thank my dad at some point. But yes, it was actually for our good. That is why God is testing them. He's not trying to destroy them. He's not trying to destroy us. He's trying to grow us and develop us. And the more they fail, the more his heart breaks. He's not sitting back there laughing. His heart is breaking and he's reaching out to them again and again and again. Just like my father, he didn't, after day one, I, and I answered 10 questions out of 11 wrong, he didn't say, okay, you're useless. Clearly you have no future. You know, just stay at home and we'll make you, you know, a, hob a hermit or something. I didn't say that. He said, hey, I'm going to work with you. I'm going to test you. I'm going to teach you. And that's what God is doing. He doesn't give up on us. And then when my father would discipline, he didn't discipline out of retribution. He never disciplined us to give us what we deserve. That's not what God is doing. He is teaching us and testing us so that we might grow and that we might live. You know, we have this crazy notion out there that, hey, if we live a good life, if we do all the things right, we will not be tested. We will not be persecuted. We will never go through any trials. But I'm here to tell you that that cannot be further from the truth. And all we need to do is look at Jesus himself because he lived that perfect life. He lived a sinless life. And yet he was tested and he was tried more than any of us will ever be. So that whole notion just should just be completely destroyed. That testing and that wilderness is not so that we will crumble and fail, but for us to grow and mature and grow closer to him. You know, Jesus himself preaches on this, on this passage, and Anne read that for us earlier today in John chapter 6. So John chapter 6, Jesus is talking about this passage himself. I'm going to read a few verses from, from that chapter, starting with verse 27. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give, you, give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Verse 32. Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then if we jump to verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should, not have eternal, should have eternal life, and I will raise him up that last day. And then verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So there's two points I want to 
talk about from that scripture. So we know that he provides, we know that he teaches, we know that he tests, and as we look at Jesus and him being the bread of life, there's two critical points we need to understand. So we find the Pharisees coming to Jesus and saying, hey, what do I need to do to do the works of God? They completely understand that concept of work, right? All their, all their years they've been doing work. They've been ha- they know their father, forefathers were doing work. They know the passage where God commanded their forefathers to wake up every morning for six days and go gather food and do work. And so they come to Jesus saying, hey, what work can we do to do the work of God? And Jesus said, there is no work to be done. All you need to do is believe on me. There's no work that you and I can do to earn our salvation. The only thing that we need to do is believe on Jesus Christ. You see, he came 2,000 years ago, and he lived the perfect life. And he was tested, and he was tried, and he was persecuted, and he was punished for us. He was tortured, and ultimately he died this gruesome death on the cross. And so when you ask, what must we do? Nothing. He has done the work, and all we need to do now is believe on him who God has sent. This is such a foreign concept. We're so used to this world where everything we get is through work and we have to work to earn it. And God is saying, no, there's nothing. Just believe in me. We also see in the scripture that he is the bread of life. So just like the children of Israel who were wandering in the wilderness about to perish, our souls were in the wilderness ready to perish, deserving condemnation, deserving punishment. Our souls were in the wilderness deserving punishment and death. And just like God provides his children with manna, God has provided us the bread of life from heaven. He provided manna from heaven, and now he provides you and I the bread of life from heaven so that we do not have to perish, but if we would partake of him, we will have eternal life. 49 says, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of the bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. My brothers and sisters, what an awesome hope that we are not eating bread like manna. All those people that ate that manna died. But we have the bread of life so that we can live forever and reign with him. So I know we've talked about a lot, and I want to think about how do we apply this in our daily lives, because all of us are going to go through the wilderness. Some of you are going through the wilderness right now. As as I'm speaking, you are experiencing the wilderness, and there's no one that can help except God himself. Some of you have been through that. All of you will go through that at some point in time where you look to the left, you look to the right, and there's no one that can help you except God. And I want you to do a couple of things. One is I want you to remember everything that I, we talked about today. I, it'll be on audio on the, on the website. So I know I talked fast and there was a lot coming at you. I want you to remember all of it. I want you to remember that he brought us you know, into the wilderness, not to destroy us. He brought us there to sanctify us and to bring this slavery and to bring, to sanctify us and to bring the slavery out of us. 
that he's going to teach us and he's going to provide and he's going to test. He's going to do all those things. But in the wilderness, you know, when our feet are on the ground, when we're going through it in the midst of it, there are a couple things we need to do to get strength so that we survive. One is that we need to look at the scripture and two is that we need to look to our community. When I say look at the scripture, when we are in the wilderness, that wilderness experience is emotional. It's a roller coaster of ups and downs and feelings are gonna get away in the way. I know that sounds so crass. Emotions are gonna get in the way. All these thoughts are gonna come into our head and what I want you to do right at that very moment is to pick up the word of God and preach to yourself the promises that he's provided that we are adopted, that we are accepted, that he has given us eternal life, that the shadows that we face are a passing thing. Don't get bogged down with emotions and feelings and all these things. The devil is going to come from the left and the right and put doubt in our heads. But I want us to think. I want us to meditate. I want us to call upon the promises in the scripture to find strength in the wilderness. If you sit there and run from the Bible, run from the word, we will perish. But if you grab onto this and hold on to every promise, these shadows are just a passing thing. The other thing I want us to do is to run to community. You know, we're so used to being independent. We're so used to, you know, hiding all of our problems, all of our pain. We want to show ourselves as strong. We want to show ourselves as putting up a good face. But I'm telling you that that will crush us and destroy us in the wilderness. We see the children of Israel are gathering together. They're, they're dispersing the food together. When we go into community, the community will help us survive. They're going to provide us encouragement. They're going to provide us instruction. They're going to help us remember the promises. They're going to correct us if we need correction. They're going to pray for us if we need prayer. They're going to be there to tell us that God loves us. As we go through the wilderness, you will die by yourself. You will get crushed. But in community, we will survive that wilderness experience. So, God took them out of Israel. Why do I keep saying that? God took them out of Egypt. God took them through the Red Sea. And God took them into the wilderness. It wasn't some accident. It wasn't some misdirection. He took them there to bring the slavery out of them, to sanctify them. We see that he teaches them. We see that he provides for them. We see that he tests them. He does all these things for their good so that they would grow. And we see that Jesus is an even better manna. He is the bread of life. So as we go through this wilderness experience, I ask that you remember the scripture and remember community. May God bless you with these words.